Hello. Hello. Industry. Industry. Hi, welcome back to Industry Tactics. My name is Friendly Rich. And today on the podcast, we have my dear friend, the trombonist, uh, Scott Thompson. He's recently been named the uh, artistic director of the Guelph Jazz Festival. And we're very happy to, have, to see Scott in this position. Very excited for the festival and where it, where it goes from here. Renowned fest, jazz festival in our country. Um, so this is my talk with Scott. We talk about early days, how we met. Uh, we talk about where he got the name Smooch, the nickname Smooch from. Very interesting stuff. Uh, and at the end of this episode, stick around because I will actually go through the process of how to create your own Smooch sandwich, which I observed Scott make once, and it kind of changed my life forever. So it's a beautiful talk. Scott's the kind of guy you want on your baseball team for life, and I'm uh, honored to know him. So uh, sit back and prepare to be dazzled. Cue the Egg Circus theme of which Scott actually performs on. So playing trombone on this track right here, right here, Scott Thompson. Enjoy, ladies and gentlemen. just saying how beautiful this room sounds it's a nice time and we're, i'm happy to be here with you i am happy to be here with both of us i would be drinking this grapefruit league beer that you so you've provided and uh, we'll give a toast to you sir saute yeah how many are uh that we've known each other yeah when we go back we go back uh brampton indie arts festival 2006. Oh, that's nice. So that night was when we met. I'm not sure. It feels like it. It feels like it. It, it, it feels it, like it. Or I knew about the lollipop people because you were playing uh, like the leftover daylight series at Array. Okay. And I thought, oh, that's an interesting lineup. But I was living in Guelph at the time, so I couldn't get to oh. a lot of shows. I was driving in to play and occasionally to listen, but. Uh, I remember driving from Guelph to Brampton uh, and playing the Bat gig. The what? The Bat gig. The oh, the Bat gig. Yeah. Oh, that's a fond memory. Yeah. Oh, damn. Yeah. So I was, I was warming up in, what's it called? Heritage. The Heritage, Heritage Theater in Theater. downtown Brampton. I was warming up. No, I wasn't warming. Up. I was just sitting in the balcony. Yeah. Before the concert started. And there was a. I noticed a bat. I thought that's nice. That's interesting. I wonder if that bat's going to join us on stage. 
and lo and behold, I was playing with John Oswald. Sir John Oswald. And there he was. So was that when we met? Chauve Suri. No, that was a, that was a year. That wasn't when we met. Was it was it later than that? Was it you? Were, I mean, sorry, that was later than when we met. That was eh? that was a okay. Yes, sorry. I don't know. Oh, okay, <laughs> okay. Tell me. No one's keeping time here, uh, but yeah. yeah, okay, no, because I remember the pickle juice when you played Cobra. Okay, right. Yeah, that, I don't know if that. Yeah. Confuses. That was a Brampton Indie Arts Festival as well, and and it was maybe at the, the same year. It was yes. at the Heritage. Yeah. Okay. And that was when I shared a stage with Scott Thompson. Comedian Scott Thompson. Comedian Scott Thompson. This is okay, so this is all getting very confusing very quickly, gentle listener. So we're here in the basement of Trombonist. What how do you what do you call yourself these days? What do you uh composer, yeah. trombonist, uh programmer? Leader. Uh, many we go many things, yeah. but yeah, no, yeah, leader is the three weird. those are three words that the three descriptors that yeah. I'm kind of choosing these days. Well done, I'm not well I'm not um, uh, adopting artistic director very well. It feels it doesn't it doesn't quite fit yet. So programmer feels a little less lofty. Yeah. Uh, but I I probably would have artistic director written on my business cards if I were to ever have business cards. Yeah. Yeah. Industry tactics. Is the business card dead? Are you asking me? Well, I, I don't, I've never had one, so... Oh, that's not true. I, I once had a Neat. business card. It wasn't a business card, but what I had is one of those stamps that you could get made at um, Staples yeah. with my email address. So I'd ask somebody for their business card, and they'd give it to me, and then I'd stamp the back of it and oh, give it back to damn. them. Oh, uh, damn. Which was more of a... That's it, punk rock. It, the idea was more fun than the execution. But because uh, <laughs> you're looking at your business card, going, who? Who? Yeah, what am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> I don't want to contact you. <laughs> Superimpose a number. <laughs> I didn't get called back for those three years that I was doing the stamp move. Uh, yeah, business was not good. <laughs> the industry was uh, carrying on without me. Dormant. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, uh, I think the, I think the business card's dead. I think it's and evidently the business stamp is where it's at. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see in a few years. Yeah, the big doing big business in stamp manufacture at the Staples down the street. But you, so you are now. But formally, your title is artistic director of the Guelph Jazz Festival. Whoa, yep. whoa, smokes. whoa! Slow down. Yep, I got hired in February to be the artistic director of the Guelph Jazz Festival. So I'm doing that half time, I guess. Pretty yeah. much. Yeah. Yeah. You're and still living in Montreal. I'm living in Montreal. We're currently in Toronto. And that's not unusual because I sometimes play here and I often visit family here. And then when I'm around southern Ontario I'll deke out to Guelph for two or three days for meetings and whatnot, but for the most part, I can do the work in Montreal, where I've lived since 2010. Wow! Uh, Come on, really? Yeah, it's been that so long almost seven years. Jeez. Yeah. Wow. Or, or I can do the work anywhere else, for that matter. I go someplace hot this summer, uh, winter. How do you spell Deke? Uh, D e k e. D i q u e. I don't agree with that. 
Okay. It's a short form of decoy, but it has its own spelling. D E K E. From the French. We have other things to talk about. Surely, surely. <laughs> so, um, so me. you, okay, let's, uh, maybe I'll, I want to learn things about you that I didn't know. All right. Um, we've had, uh, well, more than 10 years to uncover a whole bunch of dirty laundry and yeah. skeletons in my closet. Yeah. But um, we'll I suppose go over, we can go a little further. No, we'll go over the smooch sandwich. That's something we should talk about. How, like what the recipe of a smooch yeah, sandwich is. I mean, it's funny that you should mention that because I don't remember the origin of the smooch sandwich. Oh, and so I would you, be giving it. You are preserving the smooch sandwich. Okay, so listen to the end of this podcast. And, I'll give you the recipe because he taught me. Scott <laughs> Smooch Thompson taught me how to make this sandwich, and now he forgot. Yeah. And how did it come about that I was smooch? How did that come about? You don't know. That's not. Yeah. That's your nickname. You I, brought that up. I must have done. Yes. I was Yeah, because I would, in, in kindergarten... It predates... Yes. I would run right. around... Well... All the other boys in the class were afraid of the girls. I would chase after them and try to steal a little kiss. Uh, it didn't work out so well. I, well, I, I was developing my tactics, uh, and uh, yeah. So somehow that um, caught on. I think my sister really kind of pinned it to me. But and you just go around fearlessly. How many years did you kind of carry that thing on for? The just freely kissing the gals wherever. Oh, until my sister started calling me smooch and teasing me about it mercilessly. We're done. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. And where did you grow up? I grew up in uh, Leaside in Toronto. Okay. Um, and my mom still lives in the house where I grew up. In fact, my mom lives in the house where she grew up. Whoa. So my grandfather came back from World War II, uh, and they had that house built. It was basically a subdivision. Mm -hmm. There are photos of empty lots around it and meadow and fields. And wow. I think Bayview was mud at the time. And obviously the city is built up around it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. There's a, a good stable foundation there, that's mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. And uh, normal youth, you're you were a mucker that I know about <laughs> you. Like, like, actually, I mean, yeah, sports are a pretty big part of your life growing up, right? Yeah, it was the it was the biggest challenge was to be a good hockey player or a good baseball player, and. Uh, I had some skills, but uh, yeah, I I love to play. I like the team aspect of the games, and uh, I was pretty good at it. Hmm. And so yeah, that's what I spent most of my time doing. You know, we've never played. Mm, like we've never yeah, played we need hockey to, or baseball ever at all. Like a softball game is increasingly like I increasingly think oh, it'd be really great to get a bunch of folks together and play some some softball. But uh, what with my traveling around all the time, it gets a little bit complicated. 
But that doesn't mean we shouldn't try. There's a park across the street that would be fantastic <laughs> to deke. Dude, deke across there. And yeah. The, yeah, for now, sure. Um, but I think the element of sport, like the team, all that business, like there's a lot of that that, that bleeds into the, the music game too, right? Um, well, I like to think about, I mean, I, I didn't start playing music till really late at a point when... Like I how was, late? Like, like high school late? I, university I screwed around a little bit playing guitar and some bass as well mm -hmm. in high school mm -hmm. but I never studied I never went to music class mm -hmm. even I was interested in mostly visual art if anything yeah nice. uh, and that was my choice um, but I, I wasn't really committed to that either um, and it wasn't until I was 25 okay. that I said I was getting really interested in music um, and doing various things around music. Obviously listening uh, to a very wide range of music. I was starting to do journalism. I was starting to present concerts. I was starting to uh, broadcast. I was doing university uh, a show on radio. Yeah, at quite in Guelph. In Guelph, yeah. Brilliant, called Brilliant Corners. Brilliant Corners. And... Uh, skipping some classes to go to the library to listen to um uh, i don't know stockhausen or sun ra or ancient music from china or whatever was catching my attention at the time and then at a certain point i thought well if i don't try to play music i'm and give myself a, a good couple of years to see if it takes mm -hmm. uh, i might regret it yeah. So at 25, I said, okay, I'm going to give myself five years. Uh, I'm going to play the trombone, which is an instrument I chose fairly deliberately. And I just focused on it, practiced like a madman, and uh, um, started to track, you know, get involved in different groups and uh, form a, uh, a field of people that I would work with. And uh, lo and behold, it took, not necessarily in the way that I envisioned, but it never does. Um, but to go back to the, the original observation, we were talking about sports. Um, during those years, uh, when I was starting to get interested in music and listening widely and learning about it, I was thinking about what, what the hell I was going to do with my life. Yeah. And I thought about, I was you know, studying Eng English literature at Guelph. And I thought, well, maybe I'll be an English prof. That seemed like a possibility, or maybe I'll go to law school. And uh, th those seemed like very, very reasonable possibilities, mm -hmm. things I, I could probably achieve if I wanted to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but uh, I always, and have always thought of um, music as the field where I get to meet the most widely in interesting and intelligent people. People with really... Uh, different kinds of intelligence uh, and right on yeah you get to work you get to be with the best people if you're a musician it's kind of true right like it's it's the thing that I, fascinates me most about it it's these uh, it, amazing group of people that you're yeah. not going to really come across if, I don't know maybe not maybe I never went to law school I yeah. never spent any time as a lawyer so I'm, it's it's just a hypothesis still yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I feel that my hunch was uh, 
was a good one. Yeah, you joined the yeah. circus, right? But by the same token, uh, I, I think about the sports teams I played on when I was 16, 17, yeah. playing at a pretty high level and the, the camaraderie. Um, it, you know, I got to be with some pretty great guys. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do I want to be with those guys all the time now? I don't know. I don't know where they are, but yeah. uh, I, I feel like I've found my... A tribe or yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And what? Why did you say so deliberately to you got into trombone? Like what? 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 You just knew. Well, it's. Uh, I tried a few other instruments. I knew I wanted to play a wind instrument. Uh, I, I played some guitar and some bass, like I said in high school, and I mm. just didn't. I didn't feel like a string person. I felt like okay. a wind person. Okay. And I remember buying a uh, pawn shop clarinet. There we go. Uh, oh, DeVito. Yeah, shout out to Vito. Shout out to Vito, yeah. Um, and it was okay, but not quite what I was looking for. And then I bought a pocket trumpet. Okay. A little... Um, like, like a pocket? A little Chinese-made uh, with a small bell. I was always interested in port portability. Huh. I wanted small instruments. Yeah. I just couldn't imagine hauling around a double bass. Yeah, armadillo. Yeah, I thought it, I I want I want to if I want to play music, I want to travel around. I want to Yes, and you do it so well <laughs> with just a trombone case. I'd hate to see you with a clarinet case. Like if you'd gone, none of the tarring would have made sense with a trombone with a clarinet case. <laughs> I fear that in this uh, podcast, there's, there's going to be too many inside references since we spend so much time on the road together. But uh, yeah, it's it's okay. I, I I tend to travel pretty light on the road uh, because same thing. I like to be mobile. I don't like to be encumbered by lots of bags. So um, I've done things like when I went on tour with Ken Altcroft. Um, when was the last? It was April of 2016. Yeah, uh, we were in Germany. Well, well, several countries in Europe for yeah. about two and a half or three weeks, and I I was able to pack everything I needed in the trombone case, and uh, we stayed with a, a very fine musician in Amsterdam named Michael Moore. Okay, uh, whom we presented here years and years ago. Oh, neat. neat. And and he said you should you should give a seminar. <laughs> He was like, 100%, because, because you could be on the road for three weeks and yeah. you can still not, I don't understand how your clothes don't smell or get even wrinkled. Like, it's annoying how... Some industry tactics will not be revealed. You won't reveal that industry tactics. <laughs> Son of a gun, man. How I don't smell? I don't yeah. know if that's even uh, true, but... Uh, how yeah. you don't smell on the road and keep a, a clean shirt is, uh, is remarkable, but, not, yeah. but no pack, no bad yeah. back. Um, I'm, but that's not the primary reason I chose the trombone. All right, fair I just enough. I was listening to a lot of trombone players. Okay, okay. I was listening to uh, classical trombone players like uh, Vinko Globokar oh, or wow. um, uh, Stuart. Oh, come on, the guy I played with a lot with Pauli Oliver Dempster, Stuart Dempster. Okay. <clears throat> or uh, improvising musicians like uh, George Lewis or Ray Anderson, um, Paul Rutherford, Walter Virbos. And I was digging into some really old uh, trombone players from the history of jazz, 
uh, Duke Ellington's trombone players, uh, Lawrence Brown and Tricky Sam Nanton, and, and right um, people like J.C. Higginbotham and Kid Ori, like just really old guys with that really classic jazz sound. And I was also at the time going to shows. I'd often yeah. deke into the wrecks, mm-hmm. for example, to mm-hmm. hear some straight ahead jazz. And I wasn't hearing a lot of trombone being played. And when I did, it sounded like they were all failing to sound like J.J. Johnson, who was a really articulate, beautiful, amazing player, mm-hmm. bebop player, though. And so really trying to play intricate, uh, harmonically complex melodies uh, and good on them. That's It's a beautiful way to make music. But I was interested in a more vocal sound, um, a more... Uh, timbrely rich sound using mutes and using some some technical extensions that I was hearing not only in the contemporary players but also in the old players so I, I, I thought well if I pick up this instrument and play it the way that I want to play it yeah. nobody else is really doing that uh, so maybe there's a place for me that's a, that's a great maybe, reason to pick up yeah, an instrument right yeah, yeah. I mean, it was the music I wanted uh-huh. to make, but I also thought that maybe it's 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 got a little niche, and uh, I've been playing it ever since. So there you go. Wow. Yeah. And and who who did, did you study with? Like, how did you like what what happened there? Did you stu- who did you study with? How did that come together? Like, when I when I first started playing, yeah, I asked around. I remember asking Ron Gaskin. Yeah. Is there anyone that I should take lessons yeah, from? Yeah, yeah. And he recommended Steve Donald, who's a f- phenomenal player. Mm-hmm. He was living in Little Italy at the time, probably still is. And uh, I called him out of the blue, and he said, Well, I don't really teach, but you can come by if you like. And he was charging next to nothing. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, what, what do I have to lose? So I showed up, and uh, he asked me to show him what I knew which is next to nothing and then he said well I do a, a warm-up routine like a technical regimen every day it takes about an hour hour and a half something like that mm-hmm. if I teach that to you and you do it every day in a few years you'll sound good yeah you'll have a good tone and you'll have and it's just a question of how dedicated you'll be to that wow and then once you've done that warm up, then you can move on to actually playing music, whether you're playing scores or improvising or whatever. Yeah. And uh, we worked, I, I think I went to three lessons at his place total. Um, but really, I learned everything I learned from him in those first few minutes when he taught me that technical warm up because I use a variation on it ever since. Jesus. Yeah. And so beyond that, I'm pretty much self taught. Come I, on. Well, I we've never talked about this. That's fa- that's fascinating to me. Like, well, I was really um, wondering what I need to know. Yeah. Um, I spent enough time around musicians to know that a lot of musicians uh, they struggle to deal with what they've already learned uh, in order to get to what they want to play. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well put. And especially people coming out of jazz programs seem to have a lot of baggage around the expectations to, of playing the music as it was taught in the institution and how they wanted to play whatever they wanted to play, whether it was jazz or otherwise, outside. So I, I felt 
like that process of unlearning, I could skip that and just focus on the things that interest me. And one thing I've done and I still do is uh, I try to learn on the job. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. for example, when you asked me to play in the Lollipop People, right? Uh, I was uh, subbing for Scott Good, who's a who can read anything and can play anything, and he's incredibly articulate. Right. And I couldn't read music, really. I I knew I I knew knew the rudiments of notation, but I I couldn't say read a lick, and executing. Um, parts was just something I'd never done before uh, so what was I going to practice until I was going to get on stage your pieces I've played them over and over it was through pieces such as yours that I learned <coughs> how to read music and learn how to sight read uh, I'm still yeah. not great but uh, so that was a skill I needed to play with you right and or another skill I needed to play with um, to play Anthony Braxton's music when we worked with Braxton in 2007 uh, which had to do with a certain kind of intervallic playing that I was yeah. I just big leaps on the trombone are, are they're, they're, they're hard harder than on the piano certainly yeah uh, and then playing Roscoe Mitchell's music which we did this past uh, fall October 2016 yeah uh, it was incredibly um precise uh, in terms of complicated rhythms so reading the rhythmic uh, language in roscoe's music was a you played in that band right i did you did yeah yeah we just finished the mixes uh, oh, so yeah. it's going to come out in the um in the autumn the, the stu okay. studio recording of the, the what the project is is uh it's a 20 piece orchestra that i convened um along with nicholas Kaloya in Montreal uh -huh, uh -huh. and the the band is 10 players from Toronto and 10 players from Montreal and we formed the group and we assembled them for five days of rehearsal in Montreal to learn Roscoe Mitchell's uh, suite of pieces called Conversations for Orchestra and then we performed them in Montreal and then Toronto uh, the next night at the music gallery and then we recorded at Canterbury Studio and uh, so that project is still unfolding. Maybe we'll find some. something to play. Yeah, yeah. Let's maybe play uh, if you can shoot me over uh, even even something from the Braxton stuff that you did. Oh or, sure, yeah, sure, yeah. yeah. We'll figure we'll figure what to play. All right, cool, cool. Yeah. Let's play in something right here. Yeah.
that music's pretty crazy, eh? Kiva did the Diamond Clef with the Anthony Braxton. Do you want to talk about his music a little bit, or? Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. It's, I just heard Anthony play oh, right, right. in Victoriaville. He played a solo concert, solo alto saxophone, and it oh. was deeply moving. Uh, he's been an inspiring presence uh, for me for forever. I, I've been listening to his music for quite a bit longer than I've even been playing music. So uh, it was a natural for us to want to work with him. And uh, by us, I mean uh, the Association of Improvising Musicians Toronto, which at the time the board was myself, Ken Aldcroft, Joe Sorbera, Nick Fraser, and Rob Pelinen. Okay. And uh, we had done a, a number of events that we called Interface, where uh, a musician from elsewhere, a renowned improvising musician, would come to Toronto for three days of concerts to work with different players, mostly in open improvisation settings, but not only. Uh, and those concerts would be often at the Old Array uh, studio in in Liberty Village, uh, kind of informal concerts, but still um, generating a bit of um, momentum for the scene of creative music in, in Toronto. And you knew all those guys just through... Yeah, through playing, through... Uh, you attend concerts. Through you start, the law firm. Yeah, you, you start yeah. talking with people, yeah. and then somebody invites you to a session. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Ken Oldcroft, uh, he was a... Uh, an amazing connector because he was just so tireless and he was wanting to well for for one he was wanting to um, form a band uh, speaking of learning on the job he invited me into his group mm -hmm. also at a point where I didn't quite have the skills to do so but he was he was more interested in my commitment and my openness and the fact that I was doing all this listening all over the place and I mm -hmm. wasn't coming from a jazz background like most of his other colleagues mm -hmm. anyway that's a tangent that we don't need to go down mm -hmm. uh, right away but uh, all of that is to say that people just make these connections through curiosity and the desire to do stuff and then all of a sudden there's this sort of nexus and, and people are we, we were generating concerts and series and there's, that, pow there's power in that though and you guys coming together and kind of forming this collective though right like, that's yeah, really inspiring like yeah. was that based on any other model or oh you just yeah like, okay okay it was it's actually a, it's fairly directly on the model introduced to us by Ron Samworth in Vancouver okay who came to Toronto for one of the, the first interface <coughs> series uh, Ron's a be oh. beautiful musician right and on. he was for many years the artistic director core artistic director of the new orchestra workshop or, okay. oh, uh, and the okay. now orchestra uh, and uh, huh. yeah, um, he came for one of these series and I wasn't there at the time when they had the conversation but uh, uh, he was hanging out with some of the other principals uh, and they were saying oh it'd be really great to have a an organization like 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 now in, in Van Vancouver and Ron turned to them apparently and said you already have it. This is it. All you got to do is just formalize it a little bit, okay, and then keep it going. And and that that was the kick in the pants to get the thing started. In fact, I think it was the four other original board members, which were Ken, Joe, Nick, plus Rob Clutton, 
Uh And then the four of them asked me, I was living in Guelph at the time, to join the inaugural board. That was 2004 or something like that. You gotta love that when someone just points out the obvious and changes the game. Yeah. You you know what I mean? Like one spark just actually you got it right here and yeah. do it and you did and boom like the a whole choose your own adventure path that nothing none of that yeah. would have, might have not have happened the same yeah. way anyway Braxton everything like coming uh, in after exactly it's I mean messed uh, up. well Braxton that happened 2007 and that was at a point where we thought let's let's up the ante a little bit instead of doing these uh, series of concerts called interface which uh, were fairly easy to organize at that and we'd done it quite a bit yeah. we thought let's let's work with a composer and uh, okay. like a, somebody with a concept and let's assemble a, a band an orchestra uh, again inspired by now orchestra um, wow and so we did that and the timing was great because Kyle Brenders uh, was just finishing studying doing his uh, masters in composition studying uh, with Anthony and then he was coming back to Toronto in the summer of 2007 okay so we pitched to Anthony and to Kyle that uh, we assemble the orchestra we finance the thing we get Kyle to coach us in the musical system and then Anthony come for rehearsal intensive and then we perform at Guelph and that was the recording that we just heard uh, that was the recording we just heard, yeah. Wow. So, uh, and uh, wow. it was it was it was brilliant, uh, and hanging out with Anthony was uh, an inspiration. He he's somebody who thinks very deeply about the the social nature of music making, uh, along with a lot of other aspects, including the spiritual aspect of music making. Uh, and he's a he's got a very uh, deep, quite brilliant uh, conceptual framework that he works through that has to do with areas of openness and areas of uh, fixed material. Mm. Essentially, but not exactly the difference between improvisation and composition. And then this other zone that he calls, or I, I, I think he calls correspondence, where how, do, how can we think about the relationship between composition and improvisation mm. and though that framing of of the material was different depending on the material and depending on the musical situation mm-hmm. uh, but uh, it was quite the education and a lot of fun and he really wanted to hang out yeah, so after the rehearsal nice. it's it was like let's go to a local tavern and let's talk yeah and I just I was so uh, taken by that because he was he was asking us questions he was learning from us he was sharing his stories and uh, a natural teacher mm. and so uh, not special yeah. yeah I haven't seen him since then like I mean I saw him I heard him this weekend but I haven't, I haven't spoken with him since then but uh, he's a busy man and that was uh, like what three days in 2007 that it, you spent together or let's see four was, days? We, the rehearsal intensive was <clears throat> three or four days yeah. and then we met again a week later in Guelph uh, to for the performance oh I see yeah so uh, it's was, it's the people you meet right it is yeah. that like and he seems like a really special guy like his music is 
like none I've heard, right? It's very out, like, and in a beautiful way. Like, how did you make that, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, there's a lot of it. He's yeah. hugely prolific. Yeah. And one could criticize uh, a particular album, a particular solo, a particular um, yeah. project. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it, I just think you have to look at the sum total of what he's done, and it's astounding mm -hmm. and, uh, and deeply inspiring. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, th I think he's finally getting the credit he's due. Yeah. Wow. We're uh, <clears throat> we're on a oh man yeah we're we're doing well we're doing yeah, well we're doing fine. So you I I you seem to model a lot. I I don't know what's interesting with with you and a lot of the things that you the projects that you do or the music that you take on or anything really is that you kind of look at it in in a way the way you took on music which is always exciting for me is from a different angle than the usual right so like huh. even the even the even the you know the the somewhere there model yeah. is, is where did that come from maybe you could explain how that kind of evolved because that's a there's a lot of places we can go just sitting with you I, beforehand i was like Allora, yeah, you know, yeah. what should we talk about? And now I realize, oh, shit, this yeah. could be a four-part. Uh, you see, but we're not going to do yeah. that. I mean, it's just, you know, the, but but you, you took on running a venue. Right. I mean, in a, in a, that was such an interesting time, and I was yeah. just getting to know you then. It's yeah. like, all of a sudden, I'm going down this path. I'm going to try this. I wonder how uh, <laughs> succinct I can be about something yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's tough. There was a period, I've already described the momentum that was uh, afoot yeah. in the field that we were working on in, in Toronto of creative um, improvised music. But that momentum is dependent on a lot of things, and one of them is the availability of venues. And it seemed like, for a while, the venues were kind of, if not thriving, at least they were stable, because the Array Music Studio was in Liberty right. Village. Right. Uh, Joe and Ken were booking the Leftover Daylight series there. there. Yeah. And it was weekly at that point, I believe. And then there was a weekly or bi-weekly Now series at the Now Lounge. So that was something uh, east of Young Street. Right. And then there was ongoing programming at the Transac, uh, which was increasingly uh, receptive, supportive of, of uh, improvised music projects and has been ever since. But within the, a matter of a couple months, all three venues... Uh, were increasingly in jeopardy as places to to present music. The Array Music Studio had an announcement from the uh, the owner of the building that they were going right. to sell and demolish the building for condo development. And the Transact was getting noise complaints from a new neighbor. Mm. And the Now Lounge, they had there was a particular manager who went back to school and the new manager didn't care about the music and didn't so it was wow. the series was kaput wow and and I was thinking whoa that was that was fast uh, things became tenuous really quickly so I'd had I had a bit of time I'd finished um, I hadn't finished my master's at the time but in my mind I was finishing school not wanting to do it anymore yeah and yeah. I thought I, I'm gonna take the plunge and I'm gonna open up a studio and the inspiration was the music gallery, not the music gallery of today, but the music gallery of the 1970s. Uh, I've spoken a lot with uh, people like, well, a lot with John Oswald especially, but mm -hmm. also Michael Snow, and, mm -hmm. uh, about the nature of that 
St. Patrick Music Gallery. And it was, uh, well, Oswald calls it a clubhouse. Oh, yeah? Uh, wow. It just sounds like a room, a place to do stuff, uh, and uh, a place w- that's informal enough that you don't feel too constrained to... Uh, even if nobody comes, it's still worth doing. It's not about presenting finished work. It's about doing the stuff that makes work great, which is working. Yeah. Like working on it, developing yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, so I started presenting. I found a, a space on Dufferin between Queen and King. Mm-hmm. It was a storage room in a, a furniture store. Uh, I was about, I'd guess, 800 square feet, something like that. And I set it up with uh, some folding chairs and some couches. Uh, small, slippers. A small, some slippers, a small PA system. And started presenting concerts and in three years I presented 850 concerts in that space say that again the math doesn't add up in three years you presented so there's 365 days in a year yeah yeah times three yeah you only you were doing a concert a day more and more or more by the end it was uh, or more uh, at the beginning, it was two or three concerts a week, and, and residencies. Yeah. Well, that was the or, that was the key part yeah, yeah. Um, of my uh, my idea uh, to program the space, which is it's really it was really easy to get a gig in Toronto. It was really hard to get a sequence of gigs, and I was wow. anytime I'd played the same music a few times in a row, yeah. I could feel it getting better. And I thought, wow, it'd be really great if you, you could play, have a weekly gig for a couple of months. And back then you had a, a, a microphone set up on the ceiling. Yeah, I still have all those recordings. And so what, if you might, just right now, top of, your, top of mind, what is your, one of your fondest memories? Of, like a, let's, play, oh, let's, wow. let's, let's play one. Let's play one. Do you, that you know that you have access to. Oh, wow. Well, okay. Here we go. Here we go. Take a sip of beer. Take a sip of bar. Yeah. And the first one that comes to mind, your fondest memory, tee it up, Jimmy Key. If I can find Clutter Tones, okay, uh, that's Rob Glutton's quartet with uh, Tim Posgate and Lena Alamano and Ryan Driver. Oh wow! And I don't know if they played their first gig at at somewhere there, but it was really early on in the group's existence. As far as I understand it and they still they're still rocking right? well yeah. not only are they still rocking but also I've just booked them to play the festival in Guelph oh in the, snap it, it, yeah in September so it feels like things are coming full circle oh that is, un, that is a beautiful story yeah yeah if you have it let's I, I'm gonna look for okay, it okay well, if we're gonna not do our best. If, if we can't find the recording we'll play something from their record yeah yeah
Let's take a little more bar. That's great. We're drinking some Grapefruit League bar. This is the Left Field Brewery. That's nice. Thank grapefruit you. Saison. Oh, you gotta love that. You're a good it's, man. It's called Sunlight Park. It's uh, yeah, it's, it's a good summer refresher. What this podcast doesn't have is a quick riffing of uh, Wolf Paymont. Jimmy <laughs> you know, we go way back. One of the things that we did that a fond memory. We can go anywhere. Is uh, is you. 
in a speedo at the Brampton Indie Arts Festival and a hockey helmet at the Borges Salming. What was it? I was playing the Swedish national anthem on the sousaphone, wearing a Jofa helmet and uh, designer underwear and nothing else. The designer underwear in honor of the Borja Salming underwear. That's empire. right. We we yes. found out that Borja Salming, after he retired from hockey, has started a designer underwear, like a athletic underwear concern in Sweden. And you were looking for some programming, or maybe you weren't looking for some programming. But... <laughs> it's one of my <laughs> first of all. It's one of my fondest memories that you know that we'll take with us. But I mean, program wise, it was. It was absolutely yeah. deranged. I remember playing in the uh, the main hall at the Rose Rose Theater. Is yeah, that what it's called? Theater, yeah, after and the airing. you could hear a pin drop. I mean, between sousaphone notes, people yeah. were stunned. They didn't know what to think. And then all of a sudden, I, I heard Christine Duncan say, "Wow!" Like I could tell she was like, "This is this is this thing is out." It, it was a serious moment that will never be in like to just that it happened that we honor this weird Toronto Maple Leaf from the 1980s with the Swedish National Anthem with the on, Swedish National played Anthem played badly on the sousaphone I mean had it played it well I mean it might have added <laughs> even another layer but it, it was seriously a, a, a bizarre moment mm. uh, so where were we before the fart oh yeah we, we, we hopefully played the somewhere there you are sharp by the way on your uh, your ability to I'm trying to steer us in tangential directions oh no I'm, I'm, I'm playing guy, the long game here this guy has got his eye and he's an excellent driver and maybe that leads us to where he's going with this conversation continue driving please well we're, we're talking about things that we should maybe play mm -hmm. you know what I'd really like to play is my bagpipe music did I tell you about the bagpipe project? Here, another thing well, I'd like to learn about. Well, I, we'll I'll end it with the bagpipe. I'll, I'll make a I'll make a segue. Yeah. Because um, you were involved in music and galleries, right? Yes. Yeah. So music and galleries was a, um, a I conceived of it as a piece. Other people called it a festival, but the idea was this is when there were lots of uh, storefront art galleries along um, Queen Street West. Mm -hmm. Ga uh, galleries that were kind of like the music gallery was in the 1970s and they were just these empty rooms they're not empty they had art in sure, them sure. but I, I was walking by them in fact with Julia Hamilton and, shout out and uh, we whether she suggested it or I suggested it and she responded well I don't remember but uh, the idea was wow there should be a little bit of music in all of these galleries mm. on one day mm. so within a little while I conceived of music and galleries which is 20 minutes of music in uh, a gallery uh, let's see just west of Trinity Bellwoods Park okay and then every five minutes afterward another 20 minutes of music starts in the next gallery a few a few doors down moving steadily west and then arriving at the Gladstone Hotel for an after party and the idea was it was a practical consideration that you couldn't fit a lot of people into any one gallery. So if you staggered the start times, uh -huh. uh, you could uh -huh. you could um, like spread out the audience. But a, a really interesting thing happened, which was you, the audience, myself as an audience member, I'd go into a space and the music would already be started and then you, you might leave before it en ends. Right. And there were none of the performance conventions of 
you know, introductions. Jazz and, snaps, yeah, and, and applauding. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was yeah. just this free flow of, you know, you, you listen to a bit of music until you maybe want to listen to some other music or you want to sit outside for a while, you want to take a coffee. or mm-hmm. And it really excited me uh, because it felt like um, a kind of composing. And putting the event together felt like I was composing yeah. a musical experience, but I was realizing that the audience member was composing their own musical experience by moving from space to uh-huh, space. Uh-huh. And it, it was the first of what I, it's a whole field of work that I've done ever since, which is right. I call map pieces or cartographic composing. And you've done a lot I've of I've done a lot of them and I've done them in, I've, um, I've done them in Toronto. I've done them in Newfoundland. I've done them in Vancouver, Ottawa, Montreal, Rimouski, uh, and uh, I've done them at the National Gallery of Canada, the Art Gallery of yeah. Ontario, yeah. uh, Parc National du Bic, uh, Pape La Fontaine in Montreal. And uh, so it, it's become quite a, a big part of my, my, my practice. But it's. Isn't that interesting that it evolved from that music and galleries, from that? Yeah. You can, you can trace it back to that walk yeah. with Julia Hamilton. That's really cool. And I just, love that. And just thinking about how. Um, how by changing the relationship between the audience and the performer, mm-hmm. you change the nature of the music and you grant a certain agency to the listener to make the piece uh, accessible in a different way. Yeah. Maybe more fun. Yeah. Um, just different. It's no longer it's a passive. A, it's no longer a passive. Yeah. You, you're not just plonking your 20 bucks down, yeah. sitting in a chair. And judging. Judging <laughs> or, or falling asleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then clapping yeah. and then going home. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's a, it's a different thing. So, and it's in, and Brax, some of Braxton's music has in, directly informed that as well. Anyway, I brought up the, the bagpipes. I got a, uh, he's driving be, based on all this work. I started to get uh, more and more commissions to do, to do pieces. And, uh, I got asked to do the, uh, the port symphony every uh, winter in Montreal, a uh, local composer is commissioned to compose the Port Symphony, which is an idea that they took from the Sound Symposium oh, yeah. in Newfoundland. Okay. Uh, I was in, invited to write for the ships in the port. So there were five ships. So the ship horns. And it's frozen? Uh, well, they're, they're docked throughout the whole winter, so they're not moving. So it's the right time to do it because you can actually plan. And I was able to go on the ships and hear the different horns and I could compose specifically for them as well as a, what a joy a, um, a railroad locomotive uh, and also the bells of the uh, Basilica Notre Dame Basilica and then an ensemble of my choice but I played the previous year my friend uh, Philippe Lozier had been the composer and he put together a, a brass ensemble okay and you played in I that I played in that but we were it's a, it's commissioned by the Archaeology Museum Pointe-à-Calière in Montreal, and so there's this little outdoor square right next to the, the port. And we were set up under this little tent, uh, playing into microphones with a PA, and we were supposed to play with these ships yeah, yeah, that yeah. weren't, obviously, they're acoustic. And it just felt, it, it something wasn't quite right for me to play amplified music so I thought, if I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna I want to play acoustic music, uh, or write for acoustic music. Okay. And I thought, well, 
Bagpipes. It's going to cut. Bagpipes. Yeah. So the structure of the, of the piece is a five-minute prelude uh, with just pipes and drums, uh, a, a band called Montreal Pipes and Drums. And I worked with them for, for um, uh, less time than I'd hoped, but long enough to put the thing together. Yeah. And then at the uh, it uh, segues into the symphony, which I believe is thirty or forty minutes long, and it is the ship horns plus the bagpipes um, and drums. So how did you go about composing it? Like how did you like? There was what was your language there to to write for boats and 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 bells and and bagpipes? I mean, uh, my language. That's an I amazing thing. Like. It, I was just thinking of masses of sound. I, I mean, is there a recording? There is a recording, and so uh, I think we should play some bagpipe music. Lord, br- brace yourselves! But the the beginning, I was invited to write on a theme. Be- oh yeah, all okay. the all the composers in in this uh, in these commissions are because it's commissioned by the uh, museum, and the museum has a concurrent exhibition each year. Uh, oh yeah. So yeah. when when I played in Philippe Lozier's ensemble, it was ancient Greece. Wow. A- and then uh, for my year, it was Agatha Christie. Of course. Because well, she was she was married to a, a quite a renowned archaeologist and uh, went on a lot of uh, did a lot of field work with oh, her yeah? in yeah. Asia Minor and Syria and, and and Iraq and I think um, oh, what's the uh, what's the name of the I forget. One of our famous books, Orient Express. Okay, it's based on that those experiences. For example, right on. Uh, anyway, That's a fun theme. Yeah, it was, but it I, I didn't know what a, what to do with that. But I was just thinking about mystery. Okay. Uh, what is musical mystery, and what is the lack of musical mystery? And uh, I I I was thinking broadly that out of tune, being out of tune is kind of mysterious. Yeah. And being in tune is more, it's more certain. And so I'd had this experience a few years previously. In fact, coming out of the rehearsal for another piece that I was putting together in the, in the arcade of the Ottawa City Hall. Mm-hmm. And I was walking out of the City Hall with Nicole Rampersad, who was playing the piece in Susanna Hood. Yeah. And we heard the sound from Confederation Park across, uh, what is it, Laurier? Yeah. Yeah. And... Um, I was just drawn to it, and there were a bunch of bagpipers, each standing by uh, by his or herself, facing off, just playing and just noodling. Ah, oh, fucking right! And That's then there was your first and then, way into it. And the, yeah, yeah. Well, and they're all doing it, and it was so. It was the swirl of sound. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was crazy. Because we don't. When you hear a standard bagpipe, it's kind of the okay. Here we are. It's oh, a remembrance day. Which, well, I, which I is love fine, it. I love you know, it. Yeah, like a, but the cacophony of it all. But this, I get what you're saying. This was this was a crazy experience. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I saw this guy with a stick and this little meter, and I realized, oh, they're tuning up. Oh, and, sick! So right he's on. going around because they have to they have to manually adjust each of the pipes. Okay. So so that the, the so that they're all. Um, so you got the show. You got yeah. the pre-show. Yeah, and so I, I I just stood there listening as they slowly got into tune, and so I incorporated wow. some of that into 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 my piece. So there's a point where they at the beginning where it's it's mayhem, and then eventually other stuff happens. So. 
Here it comes. Maybe back. that's all I have to say. Yeah. What do you call it? What's the piece? Amuse et mystère. Um, uh, because um, mocker and a mystery. In French, uh, bagpipe. The, the word for bagpipe is uh, called the muse. Oh, nice. So right on. Muses and mysteries. Yeah. Scott Thompson.
Muses and Mysteries. Yeah. Oh, man. Has it already been played now? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Just, 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 just good just, read. Just checking. Um, you know, we'd be... Re- I want to talk to you about Ken Alcroft. Sure. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I guess that's how I met you, in, in a way. A lot of... Uh, yeah. Was it Ken Alcroft? No, it was the Pickle Juice Orchestra, which would have been Sorbera, but Ken led that... He was there that night, obviously, and... He invested oh, so much energy into making uh, unconventional music happen in Toronto, uh, his own and other people's, yeah. and he brought a lot of people together, uh, including you Us. and me. And, and yeah. I mean, we would have met eventually, but yeah. he was the energy that made it happen then, yeah. uh, a big part of it anyway. Uh, I, I met Ken, I've told this story, and I've, I've actually written it out in, in, as a remembrance um, to Ken. Yeah. Uh, for those that don't know, he died of a heart attack in September of 2016. And uh, um, when, I, when I met him, I thought, oh, here's a, a pretty talented post-John Abercrombie jazz player who wants to be a free improviser and hasn't quite figured out how to do it yet. Hmm. Uh, but it was clear that he wanted to, to get better. I mean, that was always the thing. Ken always was working to get better, and he got better. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I'm sh- I have no idea what he thought of me. He probably thought, oh, here's a guy who just started playing trombone who has listened to a lot of music, mm-hmm. and that's interesting. Mm-hmm. But, man, he's, he's got to work on his, his playing a bit. Or, mm-hmm. I, I don't know what he was thinking. But anyway, we, be- we became friends, and, but not, it, it wasn't an automatic friendship. Mm-hmm. It's like we came together out of a mutual respect, mm. and then, the, but over the years we became like brothers. And I toured with his trio plus one, which We're is uh, no, no. You got one chance only, <laughs> right? Sorry. Uh, the trio plus one it was uh, Evan Shaw and Joe Sorbara, and Ken was a trio, and I was the plus one. And I was... That was the name of it? Trio plus trio one? Trio plus one, because he also had a quartet at the same time. Oh, jeez. Which Damn. was... German Evan, trio. Evan Shaw, George Sobera, and Wes Neal. <laughs> and he'd already had... A, he'd already had a trio with, with Joe and Evan, and he'd had other people be the plus one, uh, oh, including uh, Glenn Hall was playing for a while, and Gordon Allen... Okay. Uh, who now goes by Elwood Epps. Oh, okay. Based in Montreal. Yes. And I replaced uh, Gordon in the in the trio plus one for a Canadian tour, mm-hmm. which is, wow, 12 or 13 years ago, something like wow. that. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And uh, wow. W- a- along the way, we were also working on stuff to do with AIM Toronto. Uh, and then he eventually merged his two groups his, it, I mean, it wasn't called the quartet. It was called the group, the one with Wes and Joe and Evan, mm-hmm. with the trio plus one. So it was a quintet. Uh, so Kent, Joe, Evan, Wes, and myself. Yeah. And that was the Convergence Ensemble. So that was sort of I think two thousand six okay. when we started okay. playing as the Convergence Ensemble, and he was at that time he was really inspired by. Uh, well, a couple of different musicians. Yeah. Uh, I think he was particularly turned on by a workshop that um, 
the New York bass player Mark Elias had given at uh, the Array Music Studio, uh, dealing with um, open forms and oral cueing. So the idea that you can you can play it in in an improvisation, you can play a bit of composed material mm -hmm. as an invitation to other players to join you in playing them, that composed material. Right on. Uh, which, which is sort of a, a basic kind of uh, Im improvised group orchestration. Okay. Uh, moving from improvisation to, to composition and vice versa. Uh, and so that was the foundation on which he built his Convergence Ensemble music. And what we would do is we would start a, a piece, I'm using uh, yeah. scare quotes, yeah. with maybe three different compositions on the stand and anybody could play any of those any of that material at any time uh -huh. in any order and you could play different parts I could play the bass part I could play the guitar part there weren't really parts uh, assigned oh wow and we would move from space to space through different kinds of improvisation and then we would coalesce on, on the tune and we'd play it for a while and then we'd break apart into other uh, kinds of improvisation and uh, it was really hard, and it didn't. I I didn't think it sounded very good for a long time, but we did it for a decade. And by the time we were doing it for eight or nine years, yeah, including with some changes in personnel along the way, uh, Karen yeah. Ng yeah. Uh, eventually replaced Evan, and uh, well, Nicole before that, Nicole Rampersad yeah. had joined the the band. Yeah, so yeah. We had a, a trumpeter in the band. Nicole's amazing to play with. And, but she couldn't stay in the band either, so Emily Dennison was playing some trumpet. Mm -hmm. um, but nevertheless, there was this momentum, and, and Ken's writing for that kind of concept got sharper and sharper. And uh, I just, yeah, the thing I was writing was um, mm -hmm. kind of a preface for uh, the archives at the Canadian Music Center. Oh, yeah? Um, Jonathan Ajemian and Karen Ng mm -hmm. are assembling his, his archive. Um, oh to, wow! Yeah. And uh, Jonathan asked me to write a, a, what wound up being a preface to the to the book uh, of tunes for for convergence. So How special! I was just reflecting on all of this uh, this history and these processes. But wow, Ken and I also, I mean, we we did the Braxton project together. Mm -hmm. uh, we did a uh, bunch of different mm -hmm. other things together. We go to ball games together, you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but it, things got really interesting when we started touring as a duo. Um, mm -hmm. We'd recorded a duo CD called Red and Blue, and that was a couple of years ago. Let's see, 2015, I think we recorded it, released it. And Ken was working. He'd been on a solo tour in Europe. He really wanted a tour in Europe. Mm -hmm. And he he'd got it together to tour solo in Europe. And... He'd had a good time. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. But he said, "I don't want to. I don't want to solo. I don't want to tour solo anymore. It's, it's not. It's not as much fun. I want to. I want to tour with other people." Yeah. And I, I agree. <laughs> <For sure. laughs> yeah. But he was also working on this project with William Parker. Uh huh. Uh, he, they'd recorded uh, at that point one CD maybe, and wow. Ken really wanted to go on tour with William. Uh, for obvious reasons because yeah. he's amazing and uh, it would be a, a, a way into to certain kinds of gig that may not be possible otherwise. Uh, 
but it just wasn't working out with William's schedule for a tour that Ken was booking for April of 2015. Mm-hmm. That was mostly in Germany, but also in, let's see, Amsterdam, a couple other places. And so he called me, he said, uh, hey, do you want to sub for William Parker? Solo plus one. <laughs> Solo yeah, plus yeah. one. Yeah. I made that joke too. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> of course. Cool. And, uh, I mean, that I wasn't subbing for William. It was it was just a different project. Yeah. Um, but we spent obviously we spent a lot of time on together, you know, planes, trains, and automobiles. And, yeah. And that was sort of the where our the depth of our friendship went to a, a new place. And uh, we did another tour the next April, uh, whatever, five months, four months before he died. So, yeah, it's those moments that um, I think I I recollect most fondly. Oh, man. Waiting around for a train that's not coming. Yeah, yeah. Rolling out of a pub a little bit too drunk and a little bit too late. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Brilliant, brilliant uh, moments. Yeah, man. Well, right on. I mean, it, it does go back to the law firm. Uh, I mean, to the whole thing is the people you meet along the way, and Ken was certainly... I, I mean, we, we talked about it. We've talked yeah. about it for yeah. many, many, on many occasions of how hard he would work, but what a, you know, I mean, and what he got done in, you know. Yeah, it's amazing. I forget that it's... I'm really Something, happy to hear about that CMC article. Yeah, that's really it's, exciting. Well, yeah. uh, Matthew Fava I yeah. think deserves credit. I think yeah. he reached out almost immediately to say that he right should on. be included. That's so nice to hear. Right on. Right yeah. Right on. No, that's um, and Sorry. It's, it's deserved. Uh, he was a he was an unsung, uh, underrated composer. I think his, his musical yeah. output was um, uh, quite special. And there's. There's like 25 CDs. He, he produced 25 CDs on his own label. That's bonkers. Yeah, it's bonkers. Yeah, it really I mean, is. you do great oh, with your output. You are it. not produce. You right. are producing. Right. So, right. Uh, but he was uh, on another, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Another, uh, yeah. another plane. No, that's where he is now. On another yeah. Plane. yeah. Amen. Yeah. Uh, can we play some music? Um, some of Ken's music yeah yeah let's do that that's great yeah I I like the record that um, called Tangent uh, which is Convergence Ensemble playing his suite of pieces uh, inspired by Eric Dolphy oh right on and so I think yeah Karen is in the band at this point mm-hmm. uh, I don't have the disc in front of me but uh, I'll, I'll pick something nice right on Scott uh Thank you so much for making time and sharing a nice, uh, a nice left, uh, left field. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. You it's a pleasure. Then. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, speaking of podcasts, the f- friends in podcast land, where are we going? Where are you driving us? Where am I driving us? Where are we heading? I'm producing some podcasts about the Guelph Jazz Festival. How exciting is I that? I don't know when this will be made public, this, uh, chit chat. Next week. <laughs> well, it, it, in the summer of 2017, no yeah. matter when you're listening to this, yeah. after the summer of 2017, yeah. those Guelph Jazz Festival podcasts. When is the Guelph Jazz Festival? It is the 13th through the 17th of September. And this is the first year that Scott Thompson takes it on. Yeah. So this is a, this, I mean, this is definitely part of your future, right? It's, 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 it's a new 
there's a new chapter in a way for you. It feels like anyway. It it could be. I have you a know? one year contract. Yeah. That way, but right. by all accounts, I'm doing a decent job. People like the work I'm doing. I'm really excited about. Yeah. It. Everyone is. And yeah, you know. and it 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 feels like a nice fit. It, it's nice to be back in Guelph, a city I've spent a lot of time in. Yeah. Um, and it's also nice to be able to spend a lot of time in Toronto and also be in Montreal and I can see local musicians or touring musicians and uh, still be part of those uh, scenes as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it feels it feels right in the context of uh, daily life. And you're going to be doing a podcast uh, leading up to it then? Yeah, is that, is that... Just, just talk about the, the musicians and, and play some of their music. Oh, that's very exciting. Who yeah. are some of the musicians that are going to be at the festival this year? Oh, wow. Uh, it's um, I was able to invite some musicians that have never played Guelph before. Oh, yeah. And I've always thought, oh, they, that would be right up the alley of the audience there. Yeah. There's a record by the British saxophone player John Butcher, the American piano player Matthew Shipp, and the German player of analog synthesizers Thomas Lane awesome uh, I think it's about two years old Mm -hmm. and it's one of the most dazzling records of free improvisation I've ever heard yeah it's quite lyrical Matthew Shipp creates through different kinds of repetition and variation these beautiful structures Mm -hmm. uh, that get animated in different ways by the other guys it's just really simpatico playing and 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 really really shows a uh, to my way of thinking a fresh possibility for that that process of making music mm. which is group group improvisation without any without any composed material so to have those three guys in town means I can also have them do other things so, oh, right so Matthew Ship is playing a, a solo piano concert and Thomas Lane is has a duo with uh, the American drummer uh, Jerry Hemingway oh. they're playing a uh, on another day and then because Jerry's going to be in town <laughs> I've, I've booked uh, a trio called Bass Drum Bone which is more of a they're certainly not a conventional jazz group but they're more conventional jazz than anything I've described so far wow. and that's Ray Anderson uh, one of my early heroes as a trombone player wow. and Mark Elias who we're talking about with oh, wow. Ken and, yeah. and Jerry and then um, some Canadian some great Canadian artists like Collider Tones Okay, uh, and right. a, a new suite of uh, pieces that Rob Clutton has composed for his quartet, plus Li Pui Ming, uh, which is, uh, I'm really interested to see what happens there. Wow. Um, René Lucier's trio Meux, they play, you know, do you know Lucier? Yeah, no, no. He's one of the best guitar players in Canada. I think. Oh, wow. He's so wow. great. This is exciting. Yeah, and he, he lives in the country. I think near Thetford Mines, like south of Quebec City or Victoriaville, somewhere in there. Okay. And I think his neighbor, it's his neighbor who's this incredible lap steel player, mm-hmm. Pierre Lavoie. Wow. And like, but a really straight ahead, real deal country music lap steel player. And then the third player is Martin Tetreau playing his, his oddball really? eccentric turntables. And they're interpreting country and Western standards. It is is uh, wild that's just I'm really I think excited you like that. I'm yeah. really excited yeah. for what you're bringing to the already it sounds like to this festival barely what six months in well I I'm a I was the cliche kid in a candy store yeah I mean I, yeah. I, I all of a sudden I have a budget to hear the music I want to hear yeah 
uh, we'll find out in time if other people like what I like, oh, <laughs> basically. <man. laughs> right on. Well, I you... mean, it's more complex than that, but not much. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There are a few other considerations, but when it comes down to it, I gotta love it. Right on, man. Yeah. Well, thank you for uh, your interest, your attention. Sure, sure. Okay, so we're now we're gonna end with a piece, though, right? We are gonna. Oh, are we? A, yeah. We're, oh, had we moved out? Have we played? Have we played Ken's music yet? We haven't played Ken's music yet. Here it comes now. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I lost track of the. No, it was nice. It was nice. It was yeah. nice. We, we drove well, if we haven't, there. if we haven't listened to music from Ken Allcroft Convergence Ensemble playing Tangent, then this is it. This is it. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Rich. Goodbye. <laughs> Thank you.
Okay, that was Tangent by the late Ken Allcroft's Convergence Ensemble uh, featuring Scott Thompson. Scott, thank you for making time. Thank you for sharing some inside scoops. Who knew it was law versus music? Who knows what he would have gotten into, but we're happy that he chose music. And now, I know you've been waiting patiently, dear listener, how to make a smooch sandwich. You go to the Loblaws. You pick up 10 wraps. You grate a carrot. You grate some cheese. You chop up some meat. You fry up the chicken. Cubes. You add a little bit of paprika. You put in some parsley. You fry it all up with some onions and some garlic. And you put another wrap on top. You put it all over the wrap. You're making a quesadilla, but it's known to me as a smooch sandwich. Then you freeze all 10 of them. You keep it thawed in a a plastic bag. You wake up at five in the morning. By noon, your sandwich is thawed and you got sandwiches for five days, six days, seven days if you need them, 10 days, 10 business days. That is the smooch sandwich that changed my life. I saw him make it 10 years ago. I've been eating them ever since. Never got once got the tuberculosis. So who will be next on the Industry Tactics podcast? Follow us at Industry Tactics. Uh, Follow Scott and the Guelph Jazz Festival at Guelph Jazz. Let us know what you think about the podcast. Many little interesting tidbits. You're learning a lot, I'm sure, gentle listener. That was episode 31, and we got many more to come. Goodbye.